That is a good song. Um, I don't know if you know this, but uh, we sometimes arrange the songs a little differently to, to accommodate you know, our style of worship. And Alex um, usually does all that arranging for us. So if you've got a sheet with notes on it, he helped work that out and made all that happen. So that's pretty cool that we have some of that hidden talent. Uh, I guess not so hidden. We, we just sing a song. But some of that talent uh, at church. And there are just so many things that go on behind the scenes uh, that we don't realize to, to make a Sunday morning happen. So I appreciate everybody that has ha, ha, plays a role. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 3. Matthew chapter 7, verse 3. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? I mean, other people, right? Aren't they the worst? Man, they just have so many problems. I mean, and we can see them. We are eagle-eyed when it comes to other people's problems. I mean, just, you can just, like the way that they drive, who gives these people licenses, you know, don't you understand that it's snowing? Or how about this, like if you happen to be, I don't know, I'm just pulling this off the top of my head, um, maybe a preacher who works at a church and you see snow falling on Sunday morning and you get all worked up about people who are just going to stay home. I mean, this is just hypothetical. But all those people who won't get, get up out of bed, but they'll get up out of bed at 5 a.m. for college game day when the Gophers are playing Wisconsin. And you're just like, the hypocrisy of these people. What is wrong with them? And some of you are like, we're, we're all right here. You don't need to yell at us. I'm just speaking hypothetically. I'm not talking about you guys. I'm not talking about anybody. Why do you look at the speck of, uh, that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own I. Now, this is a great illustration. It is, because, I mean, if we're talking about this 2,000 years later, it's still pretty good. And I love the, the visual, and you've heard this verse. I mean, this is one of those verses that, honestly, whether or not you have anything to do with church, you've kind of, this is one that you've kind of heard, because it's just a few verses after Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, where it says, do not judge, and everybody knows that one. And then you got this whole, like, awesome, vivid illustration of the log and the speck. And, and what it is, the reason I think it just kind of resonates with us, because it's, it's somebody with this massive head wound that clearly needs to be in the ER that is looking at somebody else saying, you got a, you got a little something like right there. And it's just, it sticks with us. And the thing that, I don't know, we, we read it, we read it over and over again, but the thing that we just don't seem to get is that every time, every time we look at somebody else and we say, hey, you got problems, all we are telling the world is that we've got bigger problems. That's what we're doing. And so this whole concept of judgmentalism, I mean, that's all really we're doing when we're looking at and pointing out other people's flaws is we're telling the world that we've got flaws as well. Now, this is a topic, but this had to come from Jesus' carpentry experience, right? It had to. I mean, there had to have been some instance, and he was thinking back to when he was like 14 years old, and oh yeah, remember when Bob got that thing in his eye, and he was walking around bleeding? I had to. I just imagine that this is, just had to come from Jesus' experience working uh, in, in the wood shop, I imagine. We are in week three of this series at, called Blind Spot, and we're defining Blind Spot this way. Any area of our lives where we can't or won't see the damage we're causing to ourselves and others. And we're driving down the road and we're pushing people off in the ditch right and left because we don't realize that there is stuff in our lives that's causing problems. We just can't see it. And uh, we talked about this the last two weeks. We all have them. They are causing problems. And we need other people to help us. We just don't see them on our own. You just, you can't see it. You can't see the spinach in your teeth on your own. You need somebody else to point out 
that problem for you. And it's not fun. We don't enjoy it. We don't enjoy these conversations, but we need this to happen. So we've, we've spent the last two weeks talking about how we need to take a break from looking at other people and kind of just be introspective and self-aware and think about our own stuff. And, and not generally, not just generally say, oh yeah, I got problems, but like specifically, what is it in your life? So we've been doing that for the last two weeks. And, and as, we, as we kind of wrap this series up, there is a flip side to this truth in Matthew chapter 7 that we need to talk about. There's a flip side to that. Because sometimes we need to be the person that is pointing out the blind spot in someone else's life. Sometimes we need to be the person that is pointing out the blind spot in someone else's life. Now, I think, and I could be wrong, but I think as soon as I said that, there were two reactions in the room. I think one reaction was, yes, finally, let's talk about other people's problems I love talking about other people's problems. I think that was one reaction, and you are eager to talk about other people's problems. And you might even say your spiritual gift is pointing out other people's problems. That might be what you would think when you hear me say that. And then there's another side of the room or another extreme that is like, you know what? I'm going to think it. I'm going to tell somebody else about it. But there is no way I'm going to have a conversation with someone about the things that they're not self-aware of. I think, now, I think with that second option, and I'm, I'm guessing, this is just me guessing, I don't want to show hands or anything, but I'm guessing that most of us probably fall into that category where we do not want to have difficult conversations with people. We don't want to point out their flaws, we don't want to point out their blind spots, no matter how good we are at it, no matter how much they need it. I think most of us are in that end of the spectrum. There's a few of us, uh, of you, I should say, that are over here, and you are eager to do it, and you scare us. And you make us nervous every time you say we have to talk. But I think most of us are over here and we don't want to be doing that. That's not a conversation we enjoy. We want to avoid. We want to figure out some other different way that we can address this. We want to write an anonymous note. We want to buy them a book and have it shipped to them from Amazon that deals with the problem. But we don't want to have the direct conversation with them. But sometimes love necessitates having difficult conversations with people. Sometimes love necessitates. Now... That second category that doesn't want to have that conversation, you, you, you are thinking it. You know what I mean? And it is on your face. And people know it, whether or not you say it. And this is the look that you have when you're thinking that thought. You're making that face. You're looking at something and you're like, mm, well, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't live that way. I wouldn't act that way. Boy, if I was... How about this, if you're in Target and some parent is having an interaction with their kid, well, I wouldn't do that. You're just going to reinforce that bad behavior on that child. I would not buy them that toy because they're throwing the thing. You would, mm, I wouldn't do that. I think most of us have the look on our face and we have the judgment in our hearts. We have the thing going on inside us, but we're never actually going to say it. And I think the way we think about this is people, people don't want to be confronted. I don't want to confront people. It's a win-win. Let's just, let's just go on with our lives. But I want you to notice words in this text. Matthew chapter 7, verse 4. He says, how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank or a log in your own eye? Verse 5, you hypocrite, that's fun, you hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus' point is not that speck removal is problem he just says it needs to start with some serious deep introspection about our own lives and our own motives 
But sometimes love, actually loving someone, necessitates difficult conversations with them. I've been thinking about this, you know, at preparing for a, for a message. And there, we don't have good language around this idea. There's not good language. I mean, we have, we have judgment and judgmentalism. We have criticism, and sometimes we add the adjective constructive criticism on that to make it seem like it's better. But there's just not, there's not really, we could use Bible terms like rebuke and admonish. But you're never going to text somebody and be like, hey, can we get together for coffee? I need to do some rebuking. I mean, that's not, it's just the language around it is all like, it's all negative. It's all, it's all difficult. And, and so the word that I, I settled on is not better, but I think it kind of captures some of why we are hesitant to have these conversations and also the need to have the conversation. And so the word I'm going to use this morning, maybe not perfect, but is the word confrontation. That's the word I'm going to use because I think some of these, these conversations, we know that there is going to be some opposition. And we know that we have to push through something to express to someone our deep desire for their lives to get better and be better. So we're going to use the conf word confrontation. I know we don't like that. I know most of us avoid that like the plague. But that's the word we're going to use. And these conversations feel like walking through a field of landmines with people. Because if you step in the wrong spot, or it feels like if you say the wrong thing, and so it feels like, let's just leave it alone, live and let live, but love sometimes necessitates difficult conversations. So what I want to do this morning, real simple, is to uh, remodel our idea of confrontation and criticism and, and pointing out other people's blind spots. Because I know most of us are hesitant to do it, but I want to kind of remodel our idea of that because, and this is true, there are people in your life that you are likely one of the few people that they'll listen to or one of the few people that can see the reality of what's going on in their lives, that can see their blind spots. God, whether you want this responsibility or not, has allowed you to be in a position where you can see people's blind spots. And sometimes that is your spouse. And sometimes those are your kids. And sometimes those are your parents. And sometimes those are in-laws. I don't know, maybe you had some fun conversations like this over Thanksgiving. But you may be in a unique position and love may necessitate a difficult conversation. It is not always loving to avoid the elephant in the room. So let's talk about just four ways that we can kind of remodel our idea of what confrontation is. And maybe as we think about this, you can be thinking um, about a situation, a relationship, a coworker, uh, a friend that you have put off having a difficult conversation with because you didn't want the landmine to blow up. So let's talk about this. Number one, confrontation. Confrontation is about, or for, restoration. Confrontation is for restoration. Um, Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. I want you to imagine this, like actually imagine this, and I know we don't know all the details, the cultural, historical details, but imagine this scenario, all right? Jesus, later, as Jesus was dining at Matthew's house, and I know they, like, they, they did this weird thing where they would kind of lay at the ground around the table, but just imagine you're sitting at a Thanksgiving table and the turkey and whatever, and you've got all, you know, there's all these people there. Many tax collectors, which we know are not the most popular people in the room, and sinners, which is funny because there's a whole separate category for tax collectors. There's tax collectors and sinners. 
came and ate with him and his disciples. And this is notable. And Matthew writes this down because this is not the thing that normal rabbis did. They didn't usually go out and associate with tax collectors and sinners. And so when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples. They don't want to confront. They're like, mm, we got a problem. They don't want to confront him, but they'll talk to his disciples. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now think about how negative that is. I don't know if they're within earshot. I don't know if the sinners or the tax collectors around the table, but you got the Pharisees over here. Why, is your, why, does, why does your rabbi, why does your teacher eat with sinners? Sinners. Imagine you had something in your life where you could categorize a whole group of people like that, and you would avoid them because they were sinners or whatever. Imagine you had something like that. It would be a, it would be a negative term. Why does he eat with those sinners? On hearing this, so evidently it was loud enough, and evidently the Pharisees, you know, maybe they were doing that passive-aggressive thing where they're not addressing the person, but they're asking the question loudly to somebody else. You know, did like, well, anyway, I won't give you an example because it may be too close to home. On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor. So Jesus is sitting around with these people e eating. It's not the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. And the people sitting there are eating are like, yeah, sick people need a doctor. That makes sense. Wait a second. Wait just a second. Is he... Is he calling me sick? He's calling me sick, I think. And go, but I, but go and learn what this means. And he quotes Hosea 6, 6. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but I have come to call sinners. And the people sitting around the table, eating their chips and guacamole, about to put it in their mouth, are thinking, wait a second. I, are you saying I'm a sinner? Now, I think the people around the table probably knew they were sinners. But Jesus just came out and said it. And I want you to think about something. There was something about Jesus that he could say the exact same thing as the Pharisees. He could say the same thing. These people are sinners, and somehow it drew them to him. And the Pharisees could say the same thing, and it pushed people away. The same thing. It's the same judgment. What is the difference between what Jesus was doing and what the Pharisees are doing? That seems wild to me. Um, now... I am the complete opposite of an expert on confrontation. And you can ask my wife about this, but if a server brings the wrong meal to the table, I will just go ahead and accept it because I'm not, I don't even want to confront the server and say, actually, I ordered a burger. I, it's not so far away from me. So I don't want you hearing me talk about this as, as, as an expert. But there is something about the way that Jesus was able to speak truth that is just so different than us. And I think, I think what we struggle with is, is judgmentalism and this idea of, of us, when we judge somebody, what we're trying to do is either elevate ourselves or lower them. And Jesus was able to judge people and elevate them through that judgment to say, you are better than this. You are better than the label that you have been given. There was something about him being able to speak truth in somebody's life and to be honest and open and real, but not lowering who they were and their worth and their dignity as a human. I, I just, I think that's so amazing to be able to do, to be able to look at someone and so deeply, radically accept and love them that you can be completely 1,000% honest with them. And I think maybe that's our struggle is that we don't love people to the degree that we need to in order to have difficult conversations but sometimes love necessitates difficult conversations the second thing i want us to th to think about 
it, when we come to confrontation. I want us to think, uh, associate it with this word community. I want us to think about the word community. Com- confrontation is about true community. You have uh, heard the term church shopping. Heard that term, right? That's a, it's a phrase, and it's kind of unique to uh, a, a modern era. I mean, if you lived 200 years ago, you just went to whatever church was closest, because if it was snowing, you just got in your horse and buggy and went to the closest church or, you know, whatever, made your way. But today, we have options, and people have options, and sometimes they go church shopping. And so sometimes people are looking for different things when they go to church. They're looking for a certain thing, and they'll check out this church to see if that church has it. Um, what, what, uh, what are some of the things people look for when they're checking out a, a church, when they're going to visit on a Sunday? What are some of the things that they look for? You can answer. It's okay. Kids program. They're looking. Do they have kids program? Does it look like, uh, are they still using, what's the, not the Velcro, what's the flannel graph? Are, you know, is this something that my kids are going to enjoy and be able to participate in? What else? Small groups. Do they have small groups? Am I going to be able to find some connection with other people? What else? Praise band. Worship. What's the style of worship? Do I like do I like the preaching? I'll have to listen online. I'll have to check out the website. Does the website still have some, you know, graphic of a construction man saying, coming soon, 2007? You know, this church is not uh, with it at all. Um, all right, there's, those are all good examples that people come in, and it's not like they have a checklist, but they're looking for different things that they want to see in a church. But I guarantee you, one thing that they should be looking for, and none of us ever are, is am I going to find myself in a place where people are going to call me out if I need it? Am I going to find myself, is this people, are are these people so kind and so gracious and so loving that if they need to call out my sin, they will? That's one thing I don't think that we're ever looking for. But listen, you cannot have real, authentic community without space for loving confrontation. You don't really have it because you don't know if people actually know you. Are they actually just going to tiptoe around you? You can't have real, authentic community. But nobody advertises this on their website. Nobody, uh, we don't, we don't on ours, we don't have a Facebook page that says, hey, join us Sunday, we might admonish you, you never know. We just don't, that's not something we advertise, but that's something that humans need because of our blind spots. Authentic, real community. Um, and, and honestly, the inability to be open with one another creates distance, not closeness. If you think about you and your spouse, are there things that are off limits? It creates distance, not closeness. Secrets create distance, not closeness. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. If your brother or sister sins against you, go and confront him privately. If he listens to you, you have won him over or her over. The, the word is an economic term. It's like that old cliche at a wedding where the, the father of the, uh, of the bride says, you know, we haven't lost a daughter, we've gained a son. That's the idea. If you win them, you, or you have gained a brother, you have created community where there was distance. But without the opportunity for confrontation, there's no opportunity for real, true, authentic community. Number three, the other thing that we need, the third thing that we need to understand when we're talking about confrontation is that confrontation needs to come from our mistakes. Confrontation should come from our mistakes. I know most of us, when we think about having difficult conversations, the thing that we feel most vulnerable about is that somebody's going to be able to look at us and say, well, (laughs) okay, you see that blind spot. Well, I can point out 10 in your own life. And that might be true. 
or we or when we have a difficult conversation with somebody as if we're some expert like as, as if we really you know we're some therapist and we know what to say or we know how to say it and we don't and we don't feel confident we have we're not qualified we have so many problems ourselves and i think a lot of us feel like we lack credibility to point out somebody else's problem i actually think that maybe that lack of credibility <laughs> makes us more qualified and here, here's what I mean by that. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 5, this is what he says. He says, you hypocrite. That's fun. That's you. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from somebody else's eye. I, I think we can go to people, and we can say to them, like, I see something in you that was a giant problem in myself. I think we can go to people and we can say, you know what, I, I think there may be some sin you're struggling with. You should see my sin resume. It is very extensive and thorough. I have had problems, and that is where I'm speaking to you from. Not from a place of perfection or never having messed up, but for a, from a place of humility and empathy. Um, when, when or if I'm ever tempted to get upset at another driver on the road, I'm always able to have more patience when I stop and I think about the hundreds maybe thousands of people that I've cut off in traffic or angered while driving. You know, I don't know how many. I haven't kept count. I lost count a while back. I, I'm able to have more empathy because I think like, well, you know, I've done that a bunch of times, and so it's easier for me to let that one instance go. Parents, I don't know if you've ever felt like this, but have you ever, any of you ever felt like, man, I don't know what to do here with my children. I don't know what the path forward is. And sometimes you look at other parents and you get more discouraged because, wow, that child looks like they are perfect and they were perfect from the beginning. And some parents, you go and you talk to them and they're like, yes, our child is an angel and they were an angel in the womb and they have never done anything wrong. And you're looking at them like, well, I don't know what to do here. I can't, how do you get advice from someone that has never experienced some of the same things you have? And sometimes, parents, it's so hopeful when you talk to someone who's a pretty good parent and they say, oh, yeah, you should have seen them in seventh grade. It was a mess. It feels good because you're like, oh, maybe I'm not the most horrible person in the world. But it feels good because you're like, maybe there is a path forward from where I am to where they are. But if we present ourselves as having everything together in church, this is a problem for churches. We love to pretend like everything's okay. We don't like to be open. We don't like to confess our sins to one another. We don't want to do any of that because we're afraid, I guess, people are going to judge us or a million other things that might happen or might go wrong. But do we realize that sometimes when we're open and honest, we don't, we're not responded to with judgment. Sometimes we're responded to with, me too, I've been there. That happened to me and here's what I did. And that is so much more hopeful than being told you're bad, you're wrong, you're whatever. Our imperfections, this is so true, our imperfections are so much more influential than our pretense. They're so much more influential. Just being honest with other people about ourselves. Number four, number four. Confrontation is a gift, a gift to give. Every year we take uh, our youth group to Mexico for our mission trip. And so every year it's this process of preparing and trying to find the right flight and trying to find a good deal. And so we just, you know, we'll ask whichever airline, you know, hey, group, we'll call the, email the group desk and say, hey, wh what's your prices for us to get down to Mexico? And uh, one year, 
uh, Corrine was looking for flights, and so we emailed everybody. We emailed everybody, so we emailed British Airways. And uh, we got a response back, and I, I just want to read you verbatim the email we got back from British Airways. Thank you for your request for flights from Minneapolis to Cozumel. We can certainly look into this for you, but your group would need to fly via Chicago to London to connect with in London to a Cancun flight. I suggest that you contact American Airlines instead as they will be able to offer you flights without having to cross the Atlantic Ocean twice. <laughs> now, we got that email back and I loved it. I loved it. That felt so good. I was like, this is a real human poking a little bit of fun at, well, not a little bit, quite a bit of fun at us, at our expense. Like, are you really asking British Airways how you get from where you are to Mexico? I loved it. I thought it was such a, like, refreshing way rather than getting some, you know, like, form email or whatever. I loved it. It felt like, okay, well, thank you. That was funny. I enjoyed that. We can all move on with our lives, and I can file that away for an illustration on some uh, snowy, you know, Minneapolis morning. But you can't, even, you can't even be mad at that, right? You just can't get mad. You can't, I'm not going to write an email back saying, well, you know, we, whatever. You just can't be mad. The, the, the way that they responded to such a dumb request in their mind was so, I won't say gracious, but it was so, like, they were just, like, they kind of threaded this needle where you're like, okay, ha, ha, we can all laugh at that. That's funny. I want you to read Psalm 141, verse 5. This is David writing about this, this being the recipient of a difficult conversation. He says, let a righteous man strike me. That is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. That is oil on my head or, or a blessing. Let a righteous man strike me. Man, we have to change our idea about what it means for someone to have difficult conversations with us. If somebody comes to us and says, can we talk, and we get all defensive, and we get all worked up, and we get all upset, we have to change our idea. Because even if they're not perfect, and even if they don't say it perfectly, do you know how difficult it is for most people, I know there are exceptions, but for most people to gear themselves up and say, hey, I think that there's a problem in your life that needs to be addressed? David says it is a kindness. It's a kindness. Let, let him rebuke me. That is oil on my head. That is a blessing. That I'm anointed by that. That is, that is refreshing. We sing a lot of the Psalms, but for some reason no one has put this one to music yet. I don't know why. But David wants to be who God has called him to be. That is his desire, his, his, his heart's desire. And in order for that to happen, there are going to have to be wise, godly, mature people who every once in a while call him out. When he's going off track. And we have to understand that our confrontation of other people, our conversations, our difficult conversations, no, they're not always welcome. But we are trying to do something kind and loving to point out blind spots that are going to drive people off the road and ruin lives. So it, it's a kindness. I love the way he phrases that. You have to ask yourself this question. Do we love people? Do we love them enough to confront them? That's, that's an important question. There's lots of rationalizations and justifications. We can let ourselves off the hook. But do we love them enough to confront them? So maybe you are bringing to mind a family member, a coworker, someone who's making choices that you see are pulling them um, increasingly off the path. And, or maybe you've been praying for them, and maybe you've been saying, hey, 
God, please send somebody into their lives to help them see what's going on. Maybe you've been praying for the Spirit to work in their lives, but I'm just offering a suggestion that maybe God has put you in a position to have a loving but difficult conversation with someone that you know and that you care about and that, that, you, that they need. Maybe they won't receive it well, I don't know, but that shouldn't be a reason enough for us not to give it a shot, not to love people enough to confront them when they need it. Confrontation shouldn't be something that we avoid at all costs. It's part of restoring one another. It's crucial to community. It's powerful if it's done from our mistakes and imperfections. And when done that way, it's a gift. It's a gift. Confrontation is a gift. And I know a sermon like this, you know, I, I know it's not like, oh, I walked away from church so inspired. We talked about confrontation. Yippee, I'm going to be thinking about that all week. But it's It's necessary. It's necessary. Do you love people enough to have difficult conversations or are we just going to walk by them pretending we don't see the problems that are going to derail their lives? It's necessary. Are we actually a community of people that love Jesus and love one another or are we a community that just wants to have the distant niceties? You know, people not from Minnesota, when they think of Minnesota nice, it's not a nice thing. It's like a passive, aggressive, aggressive, cold, polite distance. That's how they use it. I don't use it that way. I think Minnesotan people are nice. But that's how they use it. Are we going to be a church that just, we're just going to be Minnesotan nice and we're not going to acknowledge the, 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 the difficulties in people's lives? Or are we going to get in and we're going to have conversations? Are we going to talk? Are we going to pray? Are we going to ask God to give us the right words and thoughts and moments to, to be able to help one another point out our blind spots in our own lives? We're going to wrap up. We've got, uh, next week we're starting a new series that I'm excited about, a series called Wonder, and I want you to all come back for that. And we're going to be exploring the idea of what, what amazes us about God. And I, I, I honestly think that there's an element of our relationship with God sometimes that's just left sort of neglected. And we think about God and we sing songs, but a, a, an awe and a wonder and a majesty of God. So I want you to come back next week as we begin to explore that idea. But for now, let's, let's ask God to give us the courage to do what we need to do and maybe to have difficult, loving conversations with people. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we're grateful to be here this morning. We're grateful for those that are in the room. Lord, we're grateful for topics like this that maybe aren't funny and exciting and engaging, but Lord, are necessary. And I just pray that you would help us to see through uh, our, our uh, excuses, Lord, and to truly love one another, even when it's hard and messy and difficult. Lord, I pray that we will truly be a community that cares about one another. And, and Lord, if there is distance in our relationships that, that won't be able to bear the weight of loving confrontation, I pray that you'd give us opportunity to be drawn closer. Lord, I pray that you'd give us closeness and friendship that can bear the weight of these moments that, that need to happen. Lord, we know we have blind spots. We know we need other people in our lives to point them out. I pray that we, as people who care about one another and you, would have courage to do the same for those around us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.